Now, I trust everyone can uh, hear comfortably today. Thank you very much for coming to the drive-in meeting. This is the first occasion of this format of the meeting uh, for the summer season. So we're, we're pleased to be here and pleased to see you. I trust the Lord will bless you. And all who pass by as well, perhaps walking and some out here at the back, we never know who is listening, so I hope the word will be clear and the gospel will be received today. That's the main thing. Now, I want to make some announcements just now, just to remind you of meetings. On Wednesday evening at 8 o'clock, there will be a prayer meeting here and Bible reading as well. On Wednesday at 8. Now, next Lord's Day... <clears throat> The regular meetings will be held in the hall at 11.30 for breaking of bread. And then we have the meeting here for the drive-in as well at 5 o'clock again. Now next Lord's Day, Mr. John Rogers will be here. Known to most of you, I'm sure. Brother John Rogers from Newry will be here at 5 for the preaching in the will of God. Now shall we pray, seek God's blessing upon our meeting. <clears throat> our God and Father, we thank Thee for the opportunity today to have a gospel meeting, and we pray that there will be the help so necessary, the help of Thy Holy Spirit, and we pray for all who would listen, whether in their cars or walking past or standing nearby. We pray, O God, for Thy word to be received today as it is in truth the word of God. And we pray that the gospel of Christ will be precious to some soul. Perhaps some are here today seeking salvation. And they would desire to know their sins forgiven and peace with thee. We pray for a day of blessing for such. And so we look to thee for thy presence today. And ask thee to help us in the reading of scripture and the application of the truths that are uh, involved in the passage before us. We commit all this to thee, and pray for blessing upon all who are here, whether they are Christians already, or whether they still need to be. We pray that everyone will receive something from thyself today. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I want to read today to you from the book of the Gospel of Luke, please. The 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 23. <clears throat> this is one of the records of the crucifixion of Christ. Verse number 32. <clears throat> there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, that is, the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Now look down at verse number 39, please. Verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged reeled on him, that is, reeled on Christ, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. 
But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? <clears throat> and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit, is the word. Now may God bless his word to all our souls. What I have read today from the scriptures is a, a fascinating story often preached upon of the conversion of a thief as he hung beside the Savior on that day outside Jerusalem. And I would call this story, for simplicity, the story of a man going from prison to paradise just on one self-same day. He began the day in that morning in a prison cell. And when the day was over, he was in paradise. Because that's what Christ himself said. He said to him, near the end of his earthly journey, he says, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You know, I want to tell you, everyone, this afternoon, that the most important thing in everybody's life is to have an experience of conversion. This is what happened to the thief on this day. He was converted to God. And conversion is necessary for everybody because we are wrong to begin with and we are on the wrong pathway. And we need a change before we can ever be in paradise, in that garden of delight in heaven for all eternity. And I want to say as well that conversion is absolutely urgent. There's nothing so important for everybody here today than to be converted to God. You need to be saved, to use another great Bible word, and you need to be born of the Holy Spirit. And in the days we live in, with all the sober and serious events that are happening in the world, you hardly need me to tell you that the coming of the Lord is near. I, I've never been so convinced that the end of this age of grace is upon us. The sin of the world is rampant, is rebellious, it is hostile to God, it is everywhere. And there's only so long that God will put up with the terrible animosity of people against his law and against his order, against his principles, and friends, in this confused world that we live in, I tell you that salvation is absolutely urgent for you. I would say that today is the day of salvation for you, if you're present today still needing it. 
And so we have the great story and many lessons to learn from it of this man who was converted just at the closing moments of his life. Life was ebbing out for him. And it was well that he got the matter settled and knew from Christ that it was settled before he died. Now let me put it this way, just in maybe four or five steps as we trace this story. You know, it all begins really with guilt. That's where we have to start in the gospel. This man who was a criminal beside the Savior as they were hanging outside the city there, he was absolutely convinced that he was guilty. You know, that's where all our stories begin. No one can ever really know sins forgiven until they become aware of how vile and how guilty they are. And the Holy Spirit of God today is in the world to convince people of their sin. Every thought you have about your sin is placed there by God himself. There is a power working today in this world that convinces people and reminds them of the reality of wrongdoing and of evil and how it is a grief and an affront to the holy God of heaven. All sin is against God and we all have sinned. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And from the very first man, Adam, right down to now, and the latest child born. I tell you, every single one is born in sin. And as years pass by, those sins multiply, and we, year by year, heap up a great mountain of sins that will be gone into fully in the day of judgment. If you are here today without conversion and without Christ, Every day you live, you're getting closer to the great assize when you will stand before God at the great tribunal. But the message of the gospel declares how God can settle things out of court to use a, an everyday expression. In other words, you can have the matter gone into and dealt with and the price paid and the judgment settled before ever you have the awful experience of standing before God in that day. That is the greatness and glory of the gospel, that it provides for you a way of escape so that you don't need to be in the judgment. I'm one of those in this part today who knows that everything has already been settled. My judgment day was 2,000 years ago when Christ died for my sins. And I am depending on him alone for time and eternity. And I'll never ever be in hell. And I'll never stand before the great white throne. Which you may stand before. As things are standing right now, you're on the way to standing to hear all your sins recounted. Every single one. And there are many, many of them. Thousands upon thousands of sins of your life. And not only the sins you have committed but the things you haven't done that you should have done. Many people forget that whenever we preach about sins, it's not only to remind people of the wrong things that they have done, but also to speak to you about the many things that you ought to have done that you never have done. For instance, you've never ever brought glory to God 
You've never given God thanks for his son. You haven't served him for five minutes of your life. And the Bible says, To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. In Second Peter we learn that it is better for people not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn away from that commandment given unto them. I hope you see the seriousness of that. And if today you are conscious in your life that there are things that you should be doing and a God you should be serving and a Christ you should be worshiping and a life you should be living, I hope that this will be a day of change and you will from this day forward make a decision that I am going to be done with selfish living I'm going to be finished with my own desires altogether and making a God out of myself. And I'm going to bow the knee before the Lord and acknowledge him in the language of Romans 10 and 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus to be thy Lord and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In fact, that verse is a commentary upon this story that I've been reading. Romans 10 and 9 is a favorite verse of mine, and it more or less tells the story from Paul's standpoint of the conversion of the thief. So we begin with guilt, and everybody is guilty, and you need that guilt settled and dealt with in this life. It's too late when the other side is reached. If you live and die in your sins, you'll never have another opportunity. Now let me go to a second point, and it is this. I want to speak for a moment to you about grace. Grace. This is the story that reminds us of the Lord Jesus praying to the Father that he would forgive the soldiers. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. The tender heart of Christ is coming out here when he's even hanging upon the cross. And it's the story that tells how he graciously dealt with this thief and saved this robber blessed him. He didn't deserve it. He deserved the death sentence. He deserved to go to hell. But grace reached him. And grace is flowing like a river to this very day. And I want to tell you, friends, that everybody that ever was saved was saved by grace alone. Grace, grace alone is the saved sinner's plea. The Bible says, it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No one is ever saved by merit. Not a single person in Ballyclare will ever set their foot on heaven through any good works or any merit of their own. Any promises that they have made and kept, any religious ordinances they have gone through, any creed they have endorsed, all of those things would never ever save a sinner the gospel's nothing to do with that at all. The gospel declares that salvation is available by grace, grace alone, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And so grace today is still available to every single one in this audience that's listening. Do you know what grace is? Grace is the undeserved favor of God bestowed upon those who don't deserve it. Grace reminds us that salvation is a gift. 
God gives the gift of salvation. We receive it as a free gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We never pay for it. God doesn't ask for one penny to be paid. Grace reached this thief. It's the second great chapter in his story on the journey from prison to paradise. So it begins with guilt. It moves to grace. But then you see, grace needs some foundation to act upon. God needs some means by which he can show grace. God isn't merely lenient. I want you to understand this now. Listen carefully. As a parent, I could be lenient to a child. I could say that they're going to be on the receiving end of some chastisement. Then I could change my mind and fail to carry out what I said I would do. I would, I would take a lenient fit and compromise. I suppose nearly every parent has done that at some point, unless you're perfect altogether. But uh, God never operates like that at all. Please be sure about this, that God does not in any way uh, change his mind from his holy standard. If he threatens judgment, he carries it out unless there is a price paid, unless there is some righteous basis whereby he can remove that sentence. He cannot change those uh, attributes of deity that are his. They are there unchangeably, immutable, attributes of God himself. He is holy. He doesn't judge sinners out of an outburst of temper. He doesn't become uh, vengeful with a sudden outburst. But rather, his wrath and judgment is the settled characteristic of a holy God who does not put up with sin. God is righteous. He's fair. He's holy. He's balanced. He is God. And let him be God. Please. Romans 3 says, let God be true, though every other man is a liar. And so, God needs a foundation upon which to show mercy and grace. And that brings me to the third point, and right to where we are in this story, because I want to say that Golgotha is the place where the price was paid. Golgotha is, of course, the Latin name for, uh, the Roman name for Calvary. Calvary is the Latin name for where the Savior died. Golgotha is referred to more in our Bibles than Calvary. Calvary is only once mentioned in in our Bibles, and look here in chapter 23. But Golgotha, same word, it means the place of a skull. And where the Savior died was the, the place of the skull. I'll not go into why it was called that just now. But I do want you to know, dear friends, that whenever the Savior died on that cross, God had a righteous basis upon which he could save your soul. The blood of Christ was shed. His death was a death of a substitute. I hope you're listening because you could be saved today. I have no doubt that somebody could be reached and delivered by God's great mercy this very day, this third day of July. He died on the cross and he died for all. 
The Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Was buried, raised again the third day, and was seen of many, many believers. The same Bible says that he died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 6. Christ died for sinners. Romans 5, 8. 1 Peter 3, 18 says, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. That is the just one. It's a singular word. The just one for us, the unjust ones, that he might bring us to God. And there was just one, just one. Just one. Just one. Who was Christ. There are millions of unjust ones, like you and me. But for all of us, the millions of unjust souls, sinners of the deepest dye, perhaps, Christ, the one singular sinless person, he died. Oh, that some of you today could grasp the truth of the gospel, that God is announcing in your ears today a full provision through the precious blood shed on the cross, and none need perish. The substitute has been found. God himself has sustained the penalty. Jesus dying on the tree means the sentence passed on me has descended on his head and that he has died instead. And if there's someone in the meeting here today in this car park would believe in your heart right now that the work is finished and finished for me and the cross is all I need and the precious blood has satisfied God and nothing remains to be done, and I will receive it and rest upon it myself. I will be saved this very day without shedding a tear and without all the weeks that people talk about of trouble and anxiety so-called and all of these, you know, things that can become so, uh, so uh, troublesome and such a hindrance in people's lives and they become fixated with their own thoughts and their own worries and their own feelings. Dear friends, today, cast aside all those unnecessary uh, additions that people make and take it in. I was a guilty sinner, but Jesus died for me. And give God the glory, to use the language of Romans chapter 4. We read about Abraham that if he had been justified by works, he would have something to glory in, but not before God. But we read that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. I like that. And that's how every sinner that ever was saved was saved. They were saved by believing God. God has spoken. His word is true. I receive it as it is in truth. I give God the glory. I do not boast in myself. I renounce everything in myself. I say no to every human merit and everything I can work up, and I rest my soul upon the finished work of Christ. And God says, I have everlasting life. I am justified by His grace. And God can settle things out of court if I receive the gospel and believe his word. Is anybody prepared to do that today? This is the difference between heaven and hell forever. It's too late when you reach the other side. 
You need to be born again now in this world. You need new life. You need a new future. You need to be rescued from misery. And the grace of God is the foundation and the means by which we receive this blessing and ultimately land in paradise. So it all begins with guilt. Then we have grace. And then we have Golgotha, the place where Jesus Christ our Lord was crucified. I trust that some of you will get there in your thoughts today. You know, the Lord's day is a day that reminds us more forcibly than any other day about the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. It's a great day to be saved. Maybe someone else will be saved today. That's why the meeting is convened. We believe in a present offer of mercy right now. I'm not content with any meeting unless somebody is saved in it, or more than one. I don't like the idea of merely coming and going to meetings and preaching a bit and going away home and saying, that's another service over and another sermon preached. It's not worth anything. I would rather that God was in it and that work was being done and fruit was abounding. Now let me get to another stage here. This thief, he says, we indeed justly, we receive the due reward of our deeds. We are guilty and we deserve to perish. But then I believe this. He saw that the one on the cross beside him was going to die for sins that were not his own. And he gets to see he's dying in my place. He says, this man has done not one thing out of place and he's taking my place and he's dying for, for me. And I believe that was the moment he was saved. And he turns to Christ and he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. Now this is the point. The Lord Jesus replies to him and he says, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's what I call the guarantee. I love this. Guilt, grace, Golgotha. Guarantee. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You know, it's a great thing to be saved and to know you're saved. I am absolutely sure that my soul is saved. I don't have a doubt about it. That's what God wants. Thou shalt be saved. My friend, you can be saved and know that you're saved. Nothing, nothing else is any good but to know with assurance when Paul was coming near the end of his life with the chain hanging to him to a soldier, he says, I know him whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. First John 5 says, I have written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. We know. Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have. It's not we hope to have or we might feel that we have, or wait until we have. Have it now, with assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You can have the assurance and the guarantee. The Word of God not only tells you how to be saved, but it tells you that you can know that you're saved. You believe God, you rest your soul there, 
you need nothing more and you go to heaven with the guarantee that everything is well. There's nothing like it. And then last of all, of course, the glory. The glory. Guilt, grace, Golgotha, guarantee. And that very night he was in the glory. One old Scottish divine years ago was pretty accurate when he said that in the morning this man was out of Christ. At midday he was beside Christ. In the evening time he was in Christ. And in paradise he was with Christ. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Everybody wants to go to heaven. I don't think there's anybody here today. But you would have any other wish than that you'll be in heaven at the end. All the boys and girls, all the children sitting in cars today, all in your teens or twenties. You never imagine that you'll drop into hell someday and lie down in the lake of fire. No, no, that's, that's not going to be you. Sure it isn't. That's not going to be you. I was preaching with a man, I'm going to finish, down in County Armagh a year or two ago. And he preached that night, the man that was with me, and he took up as his uh, springboard, we might say, as a launching pad from the Gospel of Luke 16. He was traveling a day or two previous along the road, and at the side of the road there was a massive advertisement for the National Lottery. And you know how it goes. I suppose it's still about and on the big poster it said, it could be you. It could be you. That's the slogan of some of these big lotteries. And my dear brother preached that night powerfully. On it could be you. And spoke about how people go to hell. And he said, it could be you. It was a very effective meeting. There was a young woman there in her 20s. And she never had heard a thing for six weeks. But somehow that was a, a sledgehammer blow. And she hardly slept the whole weekend. Was saved on Monday through the finished work of Christ. Because she wakened up to the reality that many have to waken up to. That it could be me. It could be me. I could perish. We don't want you to perish. We want you to be in heaven and in paradise. So, dear friends, I leave it with you today, the story of the thief. May it be yours today to enjoy the same blessing, to be converted to God. Admit your guilt. Acknowledge that you need grace from God. Find it at Calvary, Golgotha. Have the assurance and the guarantee from the Bible that your soul is saved by faith. That God will never damn a soul that has trusted Christ. No one. Every believer will be in heaven. And know with absolute certainty that the glory will be yours. In the land of fadeless day lies the city foursquare. It shall never pass away. And there is no night there. What a blessed place heaven will be. May everybody here be in it when the journey's over. Shall we pray? Father, we thank Thee for all who have come today to listen to the gospel. And we pray Thy voice will be heard and some will be led to Christ. 
There's nothing like salvation, the peace that it brings. And we pray that destinies will be changed. And there shall be also a new direction taken in life for many who are here today. We thank thee for this pleasant afternoon. We ask thee to bless thy word and remember everyone who will now be leaving. Take us safely away. Bless all the efforts and services rendered this day for the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you very much once again for coming.